We don't have to read very far into the scriptures to find the word cursing. God is cursing the ground, cursing Lucifer, and as a result of that, Adam and Eve are having to struggle with curse. Throughout the centuries, cursing has been one of those things that Christianity has struggled with. What does it mean, the curse of Adam? Then it's no stranger then we get into the Book of Mormon, we find much more cursing. Uh, the cursing of the Lamanites, the cursing of marks and the skins. What does all this mean? Does God really curse? Or is it possible that perhaps we curse ourselves by our actions? Join us today for a dynamic back and forth class talking about the possibility of cursing and what it possibly might mean. Thanks for coming along for the ride. And welcome to another Monday Morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, Opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within its pages. And now, on to the class. Let's begin today uh, with our uh, class here. Uh, by the way, uh, by way of just scheduling, uh, next, next Monday will be our last one for the year, and we're going to do a special uh, Christmas uh, class. We're going to talk about, try and put the, the uh, Christmas story in its proper context. So we're going to talk a lot about uh, what was going on in Bethlehem and Israel and Jerusalem and, and all that right at the time. Should be should be a lot of fun. But, okay, that said, um, I, want, I want to start off. Um, it's interesting. I know that the last couple of weeks we have talked a bit about uh, those that struggle with the church, those that have left the church. Um, and, it's, and we've talked about that. And then the, the more we start to get into the book of Alma, we keep running into people that were in the church and then they're out of the church and then they're fighting the church and so we're going to go from Nahor to the Amlicites um, and then and then probably starting in January then we're going to be doing Alma's great um, reformation tour of uh, uh, Gideon and Zarahemla and you know, all these places he's going to go and try and get everybody back going here but uh, that said um, I wanted to, wanted to start with this because it's kind of on that in a similar vein, I think. Um, I was listening this week to a podcast um, of a couple of gentlemen. This isn't them. It's just a picture. And they were they were being interviewed uh, because they had they had a beef with the church. And and interesting uh, beef for them was these are guys that have been active in the church forever. Uh, they have served in tons of callings. They love the brethren. They sustain the brethren. Um, but they had a they had a particular struggle with the fact that 
the church came out and and signed on as a signatory to the the legislative bill that just passed in Congress, uh, it codifying same-sex marriage, basically, uh, because it also they were able to build into it religious freedom and liberty for the the church and religious organizations that might have an an exemption to a few things, so they signed on that. Well, these guys, who had been involved heavily, I guess, in in uh, Prop 8 in California in 2008, you guys remember that one, where the church, and the, especially the local church, was heavily involved going door-to-door -door trying to fight uh, same-sex marriage. So they saw it as a reversal of everything that the church had done 15 years ago. Well, one of the, and, and I don't want to make this a, I don't want to have a class today on same-sex marriage. That's not, that's not our purpose here. But one of, one of the guys made an interesting statement, I thought, and that's one I wanted to maybe kind of jump into today as we're talking about amlocytes and, and uh, cursings and things like that. Is he said, uh, if the church ever decided to accept same-sex marriage at any level, I'd be out of here. Right now, yeah, I'd, I'd just be out and gone. And I thought, isn't that interesting? That there, there's there's all of these these beliefs that we have about prophets and and all that, and and yet when a single issue comes along that we disagree with, or that we think the brethren should stay away from, or that it isn't just for some people, it's going to be this reaction to say. On this one issue, on this one principle, I'm gone. Okay, I saw, uh, I saw this happen. Remember the the, the backlash, and I, I, I want to be careful about this because some of you guys might be here. Um, how many people were had been more, the most staunch conservative supporters of the brethren and the church and church policies until President N Nelson got the vaccine for COVID? And it's like, wait, 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 no, no, no. He, you know, I, I, I don't believe in vaccines. And if President Nelson is doing it, I'm going to have a hard time with it. And I know people who've left the church over the vaccine issue. Okay. Now, here, so here's the, question, here's the question that I want to ask, I guess, to get us started into this. If, if we believe... If part of the tenets of this church is that we believe that this is a living church and that the, the brethren are going to be receiving additional revelation over time, and sometimes those revelations or that inspiration and that guidance may go counter to what prophets have said in the past because this is a living, growing organization asking questions about current topics and things like that and what do we do and some cases that that may appear to contradict where a lot of times it's just adding additional information but sometimes it may appear to go counter to what we knew growing up growing up what we knew growing up okay how do we how do how do we do that how, how do we be able to say, I love the brethren, I love the gospel, but this is not what I signed up for growing up? Go here and here. My whole life, I was always told, any, with any calling or anything, you can go home and pray about it. Sure. And your own Absolutely. Witness of it. Right. And that would be why President 
President Nelson said specifically, you need to learn how to get personal revelation if you're right. spiritually. Absolutely. Even if, especially if uh, that maybe contradicts what you heard growing up or what you knew earlier in your life or what you've always believed. Okay? Yeah. So, so there's like 20 layers to the onion. There's doctrine. And doctrine never changes. Okay? Then there's policy. And there's understanding. We have understanding about there being 70s throughout the church. Yeah. And a lot of the brethren in here have been ordained to 70 and they weren't a general authority 70. Yeah. Or the eighth form of the 70, they were a local state 70. Is did did the church's perception of God change, or did the church's perception of God's opinion about what to do in a certain situation change, or was the was were the brethren making their uh, taking their position based on something other than doctrine, just just on policy or expediency? Yeah. Well, and, and we've used this, this case uh, numerous times. I would, If you would have told me in 1975 what's our doctrine on blacks in the priesthood, I would have told you this isn't policy, this is doctrine. Well, there's a lot of things we misunderstand. That's right. And there's a lot of even things that are doctrine that we misunderstand. That, well, and, and, that, and, and I guess that's the space I'm trying to carve out. I like that. Because that means that sometimes, guys, we're going to assume that some things are rock-solid doctrine. And then when new information and knowledge comes, we go, okay, <laughs> what, what do I do with that? Now, the, the, I think our struggle is going to be, again, what do we do with that personally? And we may, those of us here with a little snow on the dome here, or lack of snow on the dome as it may be, but we, we may survive that storm, but will our kids and grandkids? And that's the one I, I struggle with, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got two thoughts. Yeah. One is, um, I have a bachelor's degree in microbiology and chemistry. Yeah. And, um, and I think of teaching science, when I see my grandkids and teaching, learning science, I'm thinking, there's so much more than what you're learning, but they can't handle all of that right now. And as they get older and get more knowledge, and you said when we get more knowledge and understanding, then it can change some of the basic it does. things. And it, we can understand a better rounded look at things. Well, God obviously knows a lot more about all of these subjects. And as we learn and grow as a society, we come to a maybe a different understanding than what we had before. And the other thought I had was um, we had a fireside last night in our Relief Society and it was about Christ and knowing Christ. And mm -hmm. one of the big things was how much Christ loves us and cares for us and understands us. But one of the reasons that I feel we need to know and understand Christ is that is our example. 
that is who we are to become. Yeah, so that's as right. we understand Christ's love for us, we need to understand his love for others and maybe put ourselves in their situation and what is, you know, and that might be a different perspective than what we grew up with. Well, and, and that may challenge, sometimes I think we get a hardening of the categories. <laughs> you know, that we get really solidified. Again, we may think this is doctrine, or we may think this, is, this will eternally never change. But I, I love that perspective that says, and the Lord may have a different approach. But isn't it interesting that for so many of the, the apostles and brethren, especially, a lot of times those answers don't come till they ask. And when they ask, then they get answers, but sometimes they haven't asked for a long time, or sometimes the people aren't ready, or, you know, uh, I get it. But so, so sometimes we live under a different understanding for quite a while. Remember, 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 we, we, we did the temple wrong for 50 years. You know, we were sealing everybody to Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and everything because we didn't think the people on the other side of the veil would hear the gospel and you don't want to hit your, you don't want to be sealed to your parents who were never members of the church, so we're not going to do that. And it wasn't until they were, Wilford Woodruff asked, 1894, and suddenly 50 years later they changed it and say, no, be sealed to your parents, don't be sealed to Brigham Young. Ah, okay, yeah, here and then here. Uh, what I want to know is, what did the church do with the uh, same-sex marriage did they do gospel uh, sealing temple sealing no. or did they just accept it as a contract uh, the, 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 what the church did just uh, two weeks ago was signed in as a signatory to the the federal law that said we're going to give same-sex couples all of the same rights and privileges as heterosexual marriages. And they just said, okay, we're, we're fine with that as long as we get our religious freedom. And we have the ability to not seal in our temples without losing our nonprofit status, Kathy. Kind of yeah. So there's a line upon line, precept upon precept principle. Uh, when Moses came down from the mount, he brought a fuller gospel than the, the congregation was prepared for. Sure. And, uh, and then he was told to, or inspired to, uh, not give them those covenants. And uh, so they were given a lesser gospel because they weren't ready. Now, we have numerous instances in the scriptures where prophets have learned great truths, doctrinal truths, and things about uh, the eternities, and they've acknowledged I was going to write this. Yeah. And I was forbidden. Yeah. Yeah, we have that in the Book of Mormon, right? Because now, so, so we know that uh, God hasn't revealed everything to us. And we also know that God is willing to reveal everything right. to those who are prepared to receive it. That's right. So if somebody's prepared to receive it and they ask, God will tell them. And then if they want to tell everybody about it, God will tell them. <laughs> yeah, but, I but again, I think the challenge is going to be, and this is where I'm going to kind of go here, what may be received may be contrary to what you thought. That's what I think where we need to be prepared. Yeah. Just a thought throughout on that is we struggle as a church and individually to be a part of the faith. That we claim the privilege to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. Yes. And I think their action 
perfectly fits into that. These groups are doing stuff that we don't approve of. But man, as long as we can do what is important to us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and even if that does look counter to what we were doing in 2008, okay? Well, it's not us supporting same-sex marriage. It's just no. agreeing that people have the right to make their own That's decisions. right, that's what right. What was happening in 2008 was going to impose upon us an obligation right. to do the same rather than... Yeah, we, didn't, we hadn't carved out the religious uh, privilege side of that yet, yeah. Okay, I think and also in 2008, we were asked to... To, uh, through democracy to promote a belief that we thought to be correct, which we still do. Yeah. But, and, we, and elections were won and things like that, but then we are also subject to rulers and magistrates and laws. And it didn't work in our favor nationally. The Supreme Court did what they did. Right. Congress has just done what they did. Yeah. We have to, well, but we have to accept that. And I personally think it's, it's not changing who we are, what's happening in the temple. Now, if that happens, that's a different story. Yeah. That's a whole different thing. But we, uh, we have to accept that and not to spend time and resources and things like that fighting this right now. I just it would be silly. <laughs> well, I'll take it to another level on personal level. Yeah. Children left the church. Does that mean that I wasted all my time taking them to seminary, primary, all of that? The answer is no. Mm -mm. At that time, that's what I was commanded to do. Sure. And I respect their choices now. And I'm correct in respecting their choices. It's not the same thing that some long time ago you did this and then 15 years later it turned out differently. It doesn't mean it was ever wrong either time. Yeah. Let me, give, let me give you an example of sometimes where I think that can be, where the rub is, and where I think when we get into Second uh, Nephi 5 and then Alma 3, we're going we're gonna to see some of this, this rub. Um, here's Second Nephi 5. For behold... Talking about those in the future, they hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like flint, wherein they were white and exceedingly fair and delightsome. They might not be enticing unto my people. The Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. Thus saith the Lord God, I will cause them to be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities. That goes over well in Africa, doesn't it? Okay. Now, uh, Alma 3, 6. And the skins of the Lamanites were dark according to the mark that was set upon uh, their fathers, which was a curse upon them because of their transgression and their rebellion against their brethren. Now, read that at face value. What that says is if you're going to be cursed, what happens? You get a mark, and that mark is a skin of blackness, okay? Now, uh, there have been uh, brethren in the church, especially uh, uh, one of my prophets growing up was Joseph Fielding Smith, whom I love and whom I support, still support, for all the, the, the great things that Joseph Fielding Smith said. But he wrote extensively on the idea that uh, the skin of blackness was a mark put upon people to discourage so they wouldn't marry Whites, and I mean, just kind of that was the thinking of his growing up in his, in his time, right? 
Well, so we have this moment uh, just three years ago in the church, and, and maybe you guys remember this. Okay, in, in 2020, we're doing Come Follow Me through the, the Book of Mormon, and we get to 2 Nephi 5. Okay, and the manual, if you go back and read the manual, the manual, the printed manual, they changed it digitally, the printed manual had this discussion and included quotes from Joseph Fielding Smith saying exactly that, that a skin of blackness is a, is a mark of transgression and that one day if you really, really repent, you'll be white, kind of that, that idea, right? Well, as it turns out, timing-wise, I thought it was interesting, Okay, 2020, uh, Elder Gary Stevenson is, is uh, giving a lunch, is speaking at a luncheon at the NAACP. The physical copy of the Come Follow Me manual mistakenly included an outdated quote from Joseph Fielding Smith about the curse, this is from the uh, church news, from Joseph Fielding Smith, and listen to this phrasing, about the curse that came upon the Lamanites that no longer reflects the position of the church. That in other words, we've gotten more additional light and knowledge from Joseph Fielding Smith's understanding. But the quote was, was mistakenly covered in the printed manual. Yeah. Speaking of that whole issue, one of our sons had a defining moment on his mission. He was serving in St. George, Utah. Yeah. Was from wow. And much blacker than American blacks. <laughs> yeah. One day, a lady stopped him, turned to his companion, and started to chew him out. She says, I don't understand why you're part of that church. Don't you know what that church is going to do? Yes. He listened. When she was done talking, he says, Ma'am, I don't know why that bothers you, but it doesn't bother me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, because there's an understanding that he had, right? Okay. So, Elder Gary Stevenson says, we're asking our members to disregard the paragraph in the printed manual. Now I'm saddened and hurt by this error and for any pain that it might have caused our members and for others. I would like to reiterate our position as a church is clear. We do condemn all racism, past and present, in any form, and, listen closely, we disavow any theory advanced that black or dark skin is a sign of a curse. Okay? Now, if, I, if we talk to that sister in St. George, she would have said, no, the church believes that. And we'd say, no, the church doesn't believe that. She'd say, yes, but Joseph Fielding Smith taught it. I can show you conference talks, or I can show you address, and his writings, answers to, you know, the church believes this because Joseph Fielding Smith taught it. So there's this little, we're having to be able to understand this enough to say, no, the church doesn't believe that, even if a former prophet taught it. Because we have received more light and knowledge since then. This is a living church. The, the President Nelson is entitled to receive revelation to deal with the world that he confronts. And sometimes that information run, may run counter to something that a former prophet has said. Okay, can we be all right with that? Or, or do we say, no, the church believes this because Wilford Woodruff said, and that forever makes it codified in stone. Or do we live in a living church that says, new information will come as prophets ask. 
And as they ask, they're going to get greater light and knowledge that perhaps the church didn't have before. Yeah. Kevin, weren't the Egyptians the dark-skinned people? They were kind of dark-skinned, yeah. We got it from their, we, we got picture, paintings of them, right? Yeah, so that makes me, if they were, they were given a, no one ever said that was a curse. On the you know, and we taught for years that that was the curse. And, and that's, why, that's why this is a bigger deal sometimes than we, than we need to, to say, we disavow any theory advanced that black or dark skin is a sign of a curse. That is a change, guys. That's a difference. That's a movement in another direction. Okay, yeah. But it goes counter to what I heard growing up and, to, and heard taught. My son works for a company But, but because of that, I mean, I had a, I had a good friend of mine, and I've, I've told this story before, a good friend of mine that uh, I worked with that had joined the church and loved the church and went up to BYU to, to visit, and he's walking across campus, and he says one of the first guys he sees coming across campus looks at him, he's, he's African-American. Guy comes up and says, love your brother, glad you're here. The good news is someday in heaven you'll be white. <laughs> and he's out of there. And the guy's he's like, did that just happen? <laughs> okay, all right. So, so there, there's the challenge, yeah. So, so the issue was a cultural issue in, in the Book of Mormon. And, and the issue was God didn't want the people who had... Uh, a wicked culture to be enticing to the people who had not uh, embraced the wicked culture. Uh, but so they wouldn't be enticing. And because of the difference, okay, goat's milk is better for you than cow's milk. Yeah. I know this. Uh, but I'm not drink. I've never drunk goat's milk on purpose. I've never tried it. Yeah. Uh, because it's not enticing. I'm scared of it. Whatever. Right. Well, but but here here's my question though, and 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 this is one of those things that we're not going to be because uh, I've I've listened to authors who believe that there was some racism going along among the Nephites, you know, that they were having a hard time with that. I don't know, I don't know, and again, I don't want to make this about racism, but I, but how we look at this, I think, has to be different. Yeah. So I personally have a preference for brunette hair. Okay, ladies with blonde hair are not as attractive to me right. as ladies with brunette hair. But that's not a racist thing, that's just... A pre preference thing. That's, that's what's built into me, and I understand that. And I wonder to myself, if Nephi's continual harping on the fairness of the skin was a personal preference for him. Maybe. To Maybe. A doctrinal statement. You, you know where I'm No, I no, and, and I and that, that's really, I guess, where I'd like us to go. The dark skin made them unenticing. I know, I know, I know, but it's not a matter of curse. Uh, 
And so that's kind of where Mike, so, so the bottom line to a lot of this is, guys, we don't have an answer to this. We know what the church understands today, but there are some statements in the Book of Mormon that are carved out, sound pretty harsh. I don't know what that means, if that was a cultural thing on their part or not. And I think that it might have been his preference. I don't know. That's a good point. Smith did say it was the most correct book of many, but he didn't say it was 100%. Yes. Thank you for that. Oh, should, shouldn't we do that? Let, let's talk about curses for a sec. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the same thing, I think, would apply to racism. We live in a culture where cops believe that racism is universally bad. Yeah. It is often bad, but I'm not sure it's universally bad. Yeah. Well, let, so, so let, let's, take, let's talk about, because I really want to talk, because cursing and the word cursing, even in our, even in our gospel, in other areas, not just in terms of color of skin, but cursing is a thing. Through all of the scriptures, cursing is a thing. Okay. Uh, now, let's, let's start with this. Uh, in Nephi's day, the curse of the Lamanites was that they were, what was the curse? Cut off from the Lord's presence. That was the curse. Because of their iniquity. This meant that the Spirit of the Lord was withdrawn from their lives. So if we were going to start with the idea of what is a curse, what's a curse? Be it the loss of the Spirit. Okay. While the Lamanites later embraced the gospel of Christ, the curse of God did follow them no more. It had nothing to do with their skin color. The Book of Mormon also states that a mark of a dark skin came upon the Lamanites after the Nephites separated from them. The nature and appearance of this mark is not fully understood. There was some mark that initially distinguished the Lamanites from the Nephites. We don't know what that was. We know what the Amlicites are going to do to their own little personal mark was a red, their forehead made, was, they made red, right? Okay? So, yeah. Oh, yeah, go ahead and muddy the water. We're, just, we're in the water muddying here. The spirit is light. Yes. If the spirit is taken away, the light disappears. Yes. You can see light in a person when you look at them, and that could be where the dark, well, there's no light. I was talking to somebody uh, just, just uh, this week, and, and he said, I've been struggling with depression for a long time. This is not in my office. It's just, he said, I've been struggling a bit with depression. I said, I know. And he says, well, how did you know? And I said, I could see it. I could see it in your face. I could see it in your countenance. You were struggling. He says, well, I put a smile on my face. I said, yeah, I know, but I knew. I don't know if anybody else knows, but I know. Because partly I know what I'm looking for, and I could see that you were down, and I could see that you were struggling. And I'm, but I said, it wasn't my place to jump in and start asking you, are you depressed? Are you okay? But he's asking me, so it's like, okay, let me tell you what I'm seeing. So I think there is a darkness in our visage that comes for a variety of reasons. Now, so if we're going to take a look at, uh, I'm going to hop over this one, because I think we beat that one up. So, let's talk about cursings. This one jumped out at me. It's Christmas time, right? Let's sing, okay? Joy to the world. 
And I didn't realize I'd been singing this carol wrong for all of my life. I didn't know until this week I'd been singing this carol wrong. Here's verse 3, which is oft times left out of versions of people singing this famous Christmas carol. Okay? No more let sins and sorrow grow. This is the original version, and I'll show you how we've got it in our hymn book. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse was found. I've sung four all my life. You guys been singing far or four? You've been singing far? I've been singing four. <laughs> I just figured this one out, okay? Doesn't change it that much, but still. Uh, he comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse was far found, far as the curse was found, far as, far as the curse is found. Now, uh, it, this got changed a little bit in our hymn book. No more will sin and sorrow grow. I'm not sure who made the edit change in our hymn book, but here it is. No thorns infest the ground. He'll come and make he'll come and make the blessings flow far as the curse was found. Okay. Now, I have to admit, be honest with you, I think I like the first one better. <laughs> But, but, and I know what they're doing in this when they're saying there, there's this time coming. He's going to come and he'll make the blessings flow. Okay. Uh, the, the first one that is really kind of coming from a Calvinistic background comes from he comes currently to us. He's going to infuse us with his, his righteousness. Okay. So put that in your head for just a second. So here's my, here's my question. As far as traditional Christianity is concerned, what was the curse of Adam? I will curse the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shall thou. Oh, that's sorrow. Yeah, who's, and, and who's being cursed there? But it'll bring forth thorns, thistles, briars, and not weeds. And I, but by the way, and I'm going to do this for your for sake. For your sake. For your sake, right? So it's a curse. It's a blessing. Exactly. It, that part is a blessing. So, so hold on. So, in the Garden of Eden, who gets cursed? And Lucifer. Lucifer does. And? And Adam is cursed. I think Adam and Eve get the results of, because what else is cursed, specifically? The earth. I will curse the earth. I will curse the earth for? But they also get separated. They, they also receive spiritual death and, and temporal death. That's right. Because there's going to be a result in cursing the earth, separating it from the spirit, there are, there are painful effects on Adam and on Eve. Right? Okay, stop thinking as Latter-day Saints. <laughs> With your temple knowledge stuff. <laughs> Tell me what traditional Christians believe about the curse of Adam. Well, I was raised in a traditional... There you would know. So tell me what the curse of Adam is. <laughs> you were born in sin. Yes, yes. And I was christened when I was... Yes. In my right. Now, hold on. If you're if you are a fallen person and you are sinful, when do you when do you yourself become not sinful? When God makes you that way. No. No. 
No. As a if you are, if you are Catholic or Episcopalian or any, when do you become righteous? After. Never. 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 The only way that you are make it, you are make it to heaven is that you are infused by Christ's grace. If you there's no transformation, there's no change. You are forever sinful flesh, and you have to be in. in it's called impugned righteousness. Is the is the technical term? You are infused by God's grace and. That's when you can, you can go. You don't deserve heaven, but you'll make it to heaven because you're infused with Christ's grace. But you will forever be a sinful person. That's the, that's the fall. Isn't that what we believe too, though? It's no. just we don't talk about no. it. No. 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 I think if we, if we get caught up in our, if we pull some of the Calvinistic culture into our lives, we may think that. But, but one of the things that we understand is that the atonement is not about excusing what we did. The atonement is about transforming us into new creatures in Christ so that we have righteousness in and of ourselves, so that we can live in the presence of God. But sometimes we have bought that into our culture that sounds really, really, really Christian if we're not careful. Yeah. To this day, still blame Adam and Eve. They do. And they, and yes. Because the Catholic perspective is if Adam and Eve had not taken the fruit, we would all be living in the Garden of Eden yes. today without sin. That's right. And, and, and the Catholics are unwilling to, to recognize the possibility. Right. Because out of a sample of two, both of them took the fruit. <laughs> They're unwilling to recognize the possibility That's right. that through these thousands of years, some other people might have taken the fruit and yeah. we have a split society. But what we're going to take, because of the catastrophic fall, we are forever wicked. And man, talk to Luther, talk to Calvin. We are forever, ever, ever wicked. And that's why, that's why it takes accepting Christ into your heart so you're going to have this impugned righteousness that you can't generate on your own. That is the, and yet you're cursed with a physical body of flesh. Think about over the generations, how many times, like in the Middle Ages, you, the flesh was awful. The flesh is horrible. You got to attack the flesh. The flesh is the problem. Um, and so we're going to do all kinds of pilgrimages, and we're going to crawl for a hundred miles on our knees to beat our horrible flesh. Rather than, and that's what that was the curse. And so part of part of what we're hearing over here is that uh, no more let sins and sorrow grow. He comes to make his blessings flow because when he finds the curse, he fills you with him. But that doesn't create a transformation or a change. That just we're filled with him. Okay, so, so in the end, so if we come back here then, here, here's our typical dude here. We have our choices. Okay? Now, anything that we do as we're listening to the Spirit, as we learn to obey, as we make better choices, involve reconciliation. Okay? And we call that the atonement. 
The atonement originally, the word was reconciliation because it isn't to impugn us with righteousness. It is to, the purpose of the atonement is to do what? We're going to give them the plan of salvation so that they can come back into our presence and with us enjoy eternal life. In other words, the purpose of the atonement is to wrought a mighty change. We're going to get this in Alma 5. Is to change us. And, and, and once we're changed, we can then be reconciled so that we are now comfortable living in heaven where we wouldn't be otherwise. It takes heavenly celestial beings to live a heavenly celestial life and the purpose of the atonement is to reconcile us, therefore to change us so that we are beings just like them. Does that make sense? The Savior does his part and that's the part we all recognize as quote, the atonement. But the other part is it's not for it to change us. It's for it to provide us an environment where we can choose to change. And, and then, and then, well, I, and I take it... The second part, we come to Christ then, right? And which we couldn't have done without him doing what he did. I agree. But, but we have to do it. It's, he can't do that to us. Yeah, and I, 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 that's probably where I disagree with you a little bit. Because I believe he does it to us. I, I, I really does. I think, I think we're incapable of change on our own. But I think as we listen to the Spirit and it entices us, I think a mighty change is wrought in us. And so that's why I don't believe that we walk towards Christ. I think Christ walks with us in the reconciling work of getting us back to, to heaven. So a little, little different on that. But so reconcile is to have us be comfortable living in his presence. Okay. Now, what happens if we make choices contrary to that? That's called cursing. When we do things, when we choose, when we, when we have actions that, we, that put us, that distance us from God, what we're being told in the Book of Mormon is that's a cursing. It distances us from the Spirit and from the power of the atonement. And so we are cursed then to live without that Spirit, without that change. And then we devolve into more and more, I mean, you watch people who have been away from the Spirit for a long time, and they just devolve into all kinds of things. And that's a cursing. But the Book of Mormon is going to tell us that, that that's something that we have brought on ourselves. Okay? Now, before I get to that, so, so let me throw one other thing here. Okay? While we're talking about cursing. This is one that always is interesting to me, if we're talking about cursing, and that is what I call a generational curse. What would you, just off the top of your head, what would you say is a generational curse? Culture. Could be culture, yeah? <laughs> no, no hair? <laughs> yeah, I was worried. My, my, my grandfather didn't have very much hair, and I wondered if I would get his generational curse. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when parents don't obey the commandments they should, they have taught that to their kids. Right, then what happens? Yes. Not because God sits in heaven and zaps each generation as they come along. Right, and that those traditions of the fathers, again, another Book of Mormon phrase, those traditions of the fathers then are handed down to the next generation. For those of you who have kids who have left the church, tell me what is more painful. <laughs> 
Are you more worried about your kids or is it more painful when you think about your grandkids? Yes. Kids made decisions. You kind of hope they come to their senses. But now, and, and we're certainly aware of that, then we have grandkids that may not be getting the blessings of, and so in a sense, they're cursed with less of the Spirit because of the choices of their parents. Like they never had a chance. Yeah. Now, I, it's interesting to me, you know, the Bible talks about, I will curse you for four generations. I've, I've mentioned before, I'll tell you where I really see this, and it just always jumps out at me. Alcoholism. When I watch somebody struggle with alcoholism, I, I know that I'm looking at a generational thing that may have uh, ripple effects for four generations. And I can always spot it because someone will say, they'll come into my office and say, well, my, my dad was an alcoholic. And I'll say, oh, does that mean for you that you don't talk, don't trust, don't feel? Yeah. Does it mean that you probably overindulge your kids? I'm kind of probably, maybe. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and does that mean that their kids are going to have maybe less structure in their life because, because you, you kind of overindulge? Well, yeah. And we just watch this, these ripple effects coming from the choice of one parent who then becomes a, enslaved by an addiction. And you'll watch four generations of cursings due to that, the next three generations, it really wasn't even their, their, their choice. They were, it's the environment they grew up in. That's why I love the fact that I, when, you, when we look at the judgment day and where that's gonna come and all that, I love that it's on both sides of the veil because there's so much that kids are subjected to generationally that, come on, they, in, this day, in this world, they may not have had that great a shot at it, right? Yeah. Uh, the parents have eaten sour grapes. And yeah, yeah. Remember, remember that one? The, the, the statement of the uh, uh, Israelites in Babylon and their complaint to Ezekiel was our, our fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. <laughs> and, and I've joked that in, in Texas what that means is my parents ate jalapenos and my mouth's on fire. <laughs> They made decisions that stuck us outside the walls of Babylon here in the waters of the Euphrates. We're not in Jerusalem because they did stupid things. Yeah. You know, my dad never told me that he loved me. Okay, <laughs> you know, those, you see these, these generational things. So, um, when, yeah. Until you get resurrected, there's longer than that, right? So God, the curse is going to go away. You would hope. Between now and when you get resurrected. You would hope. <laughs> you would hope, yeah. One of the purposes for the Lord in cursing the Lamanites was so that they would not have the same standard of judgment condemning them in the end. Okay. Let's see. There's a final cursing yeah. and a final blessing that prevail forever, and those are different than these temporary cursings and temporary blessings 
that lead us to an understanding of the law of opposition as we swing back and forth. Yeah. Let's see if let's see if there's a possibility that God didn't curse them. Let's throw that out as a possibility. Let's go to. He cursed them, but he didn't condemn them. Well, let's see. Uh, isn't it interesting? And I'm going to get down here in just a second. Okay. So let, let's let's back up here. Because sometimes I think in the Book of Mormon, I think that word of cursing actually kind of become the generational cursing is actually the traditions of the fathers. Sometimes it's much longer than a hundred years. That it just extends on that they teach and they teach and they so well, so. It could be for, it could be for thousands of years. It could. For an individual, it, it generally starts at your birth. Yeah. And it, and it's going to end before you get resurrected. There won't be any individual that hasn't had a, a, an, an, an opportunity to hear. Not just an opportunity, but a, a wonderful opportunity. Yeah, I, opportunity. I, 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 I agree with that. And, and in fact, one of the ways that we see that is with like the anti-Nephi-Lehi's. That one of the things that they had to do before they could actually accept the gospel, there had to be that moment where they would say, I first have to disbelieve the, the traditions of our fathers. We, we see that with King Lamoni. I have to now believe in the Nephite tradition, not the Lamanite tradition. And when that spirit comes, it just knocked them out, right? Three days of wonderful opportunity while they changed their, their thinking. Yeah? Yeah, you would. I also have observed that children love to challenge their parents and what they've been taught as they get to be a certain age. Some of that's good, some of it's <laughs> Yeah. And as these children, grandchildren, go out into the world and are exposed to other people, they have the same, they were born with the same light of Christ as everybody mm -hmm. else, the same opportunities to learn. And I saw many times when I worked at the temple, older couples or people would come in and be sealed to their parents who had been inactive. Yeah. Or yeah. left the church, had their names taken off. And yet there they were in the temple being sealed to their parents. Now it may have taken, they may be in their <laughs> 60s and 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it isn't all Oh, it isn't all doom and gloom. No, it, it isn't. And, and, and there lies the real battle that we're talking about, right? It is it's the light of Christ and maybe things that they were taught early. Or in some cases, the light of Christ and they were never taught any righteous tradition. But that light of Christ is still going to draw people. They're, at some point, they're enticed. And, I, and, and the Savior uses words like entice or I will draw men unto me. It's like I'm going to, I will stand at the door and knock. I'm coming to you. You know, I love, I love the, uh, the quote by, by C.S. Lewis where he's talking about the, he was the most reluctant convert in all of England. And he talks about, and, and, and if you read his writings, he talks about how Christ never gave up going after him and trying to draw him in and getting him and, and eventually he says I have to just give up and surrender and I have to recognize that God is God <laughs> you know and it's like and I drag myself <laughs> during that last semester at Trinity College you know and, and he just had this sense of Christ is coming for you he loves you he's going to go get you and sometimes that light of Christ is drawing us to recognize light 
uh, when it when uh, it hits us. Okay. Yeah. These people love their parents so much. Yeah. And they, in spite of what they were taught or not taught, and it was a meaningful thing to them. So love makes a big difference. I think it does, and that light shining forth, and and so it's it's actually truth reverberating in there and we have a sense that it's not just a light it's also pre-existent knowledge that at some point they were taught the gospel you know I I have I have one of these beliefs about about any spiritual religious knowledge that we never hear it for the first time here it's always a reminder of something we learned we, it's always relearning because so I think we knew that those principles on the inside. Yeah. You get into cursing. I think you go back to the original curse when Lawrence and Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. The first three words of what he told them, we we dwell on the next three we tend to neglect. He said, "Cursed is the ground." Right. For thy sake. For thy sake. Yeah. This is going to be for your benefit, and you go, "Well." This is something you need. Yeah, it is. This is the the best thing I can provide for you in your eternal journey. I'm going to, it'll be a curse. I'm going to distance the earth from the, and because of that, women are going to struggle in childbirth and, and all that, and men are going to have to do it, fight the thorns and thistles, and, but it's for your sake. You go, well, that doesn't sound great, uh, but, but we have in the, in the book of Moses where it says the curse has now been removed. I've removed that curse. You're growing, you're learning, okay? Now, Alma 3, and, I, and I'm skipping a little bit of Alma two, 1 and 2. We got, we got uh, Nahor, Nahor dies. Here comes the Amlicites. Now they're going to try and enforce the new church by the sword. We, now there's major battles going on in here. Um, and then it's interesting that those, those who leave, and, and the Amlicites were distinguished from the Nephites for... God had marked them with red on their foreheads? No, they did it themselves, right? Uh, after the manner of the Lamanites, uh, they decided not to sh shave their head. They decided they liked their hair. Okay. Um, now, then we get this discussion we've just had, but I want to get down here. Two things. One, 11. Sometimes, we're, as we go along here, we're going to get the Nephites and the Lamanites. And he, so what's the we're going to find out what is the definition of a Nephite and what's the definition of a Lamanite. Who are the Nephites? came to pass that whosoever would not believe in the tradition of the Lamanites, but believed in those records that were brought out of the land of Jerusalem, and also in the generational tradition, right, of their fathers, correct, uh, who believed in the commandments of God and kept them, those were called Nephites. So a Nephite is one that believes in the traditions of, of Lehi and Nephi. Okay? So. I'm, I'm, that one phrase, which were correct. Yeah. Right side. Also in the traditions of their fathers, and then it, then it uh, narrows that definition from all the traditions of their fathers. <laughs> Oh, you know what? I, I like that. I, I, I like that a lot because it could have been that there were some of the traditions that the Nephites carried on, like that the Lamanites would never join the church or they were, you know, that, that weren't correct. I think that's that's really important so distinction. It, it changes the whole meaning from 
uh, a prideful statement that all the traditions of the fathers were correct to a, a humble statement that they accepted the correct one. Oh, I like that. I like that. And by the way, we can then, can't we also do that forward as a church and say, not everything that's ever been taught in this church was correct. And we've received, and that's why we have prophets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just think it's, it's awesome. That's why we, we love having a prophet who can kind of update past. Anyway, I, I won't go there. Anyway, all right. Okay, so, so who's a Nephite? Those who believe in the, in the correct traditions, right? Who's a Lamanite? Everybody else. So that's why we have times when if, we, if we're going to believe that when, the, when the, the family of Lehi show up in the promised land, and uh, if it's going to put like most scholars believe, kind of somewhere in the Mesoamerica, Yucatan area, that if this was just a little family, there seems to be an awful lot of people and lots and lots of hundreds of people fighting. Where are all these people coming from? Look back at the definition. The Nephites are the ones who believe in the traditions of Nephi. The Lamanites are everybody else. So part of what we believe then is that Lamanites then mixed with indigenous people that might have already been there. That's why they keep coming up. They kill off a bunch of them and then there's an innumerable host that comes the next year. Now, where are they coming from? Well, they're mixed. All the people who don't believe in the Nephites are Lamanites. And sometimes, if, again, if the Mesoamerica thing is right, then sometimes what we're calling Lamanites might have been, I don't know, Olmecs, uh, Mayans, uh, Zoltecs, who knows. Okay, all right. Um, all right, so, so let me, so here, here's our phrase down here. Because we're still battling this. Thus the word of God is fulfilled, and these are the words which he said. Now, the Lamanites have I cursed. And you go, well, that seems like God's cursing them, right? And I will set a mark on them that their seeds may be separated. We don't know what that mark was. But here's what we know about the cursing. And we don't think that's going to be red or a dark skin or anything that's visible yeah. to the naked eye. It's only going to be perceptible to the spiritual eye. Boy, I think that's true. Yeah. It, and it isn't interesting that, the, uh, that the, the, those similar kind of statements for the Jews, not Revelation, but not Book of Revelation, but for them where they were going to put the law on their foreheads, that they, that they do that literally. Okay, we're going to have the telephim that will have the law on our forehead or on our heart um, that is very visible. Okay? Uh, or we're going to put the law on our doorposts. I mean, uh, when I walk into my house, I want it to be there. I, but, you know, that's why you have a masusa on your door so you can have the law there. Yeah. Yeah. My dentist has the law on the doorpost in the dental office. <coughs> and I asked him, I said, does that have the, the, the books? The scroll in it? Or is it just a, a container? He says, oh, no, it has the books in it. And I says, does it have the five books in it or all the Old Testament or what? And he says, I don't know. <laughs> He's got the Torah. So, so what we know from that is he has it on his doorpost, but he doesn't have it in his heart. Well, we don't know if he has it. He might have it in his heart. No, he, he didn't know because he said, he says, I don't uh, know. 
I'm not really that involved. I don't. But, I, but, but, but by tradition, I've got it there. I'm not that Jewish to know about it. <laughs> I'm just Jewish enough to have it on my door. Well, I, I will admit that the mezuzah on my, on, leading into my office that I've got that, that hangs, um, I couldn't figure out how to get the little scroll that it came with, how to put it inside the, so it doesn't have a scroll. So it's empty. So it's empty. It's an empty, yes, it's an empty masusa. <laughs> okay, verse 19. Now, I would that ye should say, and this is Mormon's commentary, and he drops these little things in there, right? Now, I would that ye should know that they brought upon themselves the curse. Oh. And, and even so doth every man that is cursed bring upon himself his own condemnation. Now, sometimes I've looked at that and thought, so we bring upon ourselves our own curse. I wonder, though, if the spirit takes initiative sometimes. Sometimes we drive away the spirit. And maybe what the Lord is doing on his side is maybe that withdraws as well but it's really kind of based on our actions that, that, that's, that's why I have a hard time believing that God generally doesn't curse I think we do it ourselves I think there's a difference between the curse and the condemnation the condemnation is more final final judgment condemnation mm. curse is an experience that is recoverable so it can return as long as you don't choose to be condemned at the final judgment yeah I, I like that I like that, but isn't it interesting that along the way we can curse ourselves by doing things that separate us from the Spirit. And what we're looking for is that reconciliation of Christ to turn around, and, and we call that repentance, right? All right, uh, let's see. I wonder if there's anything else here. I think I got it all. So finally we get... Uh, this at the bottom of 27. Every man receiveth wages of him who he listeth to obey. Uh, and this according to the words of the spirit of the prophecy. Therefore, let it be according to the truth. And thus ended the fifth year of the reign of the judges. Okay. Now, uh, the, again, the thing that I love about uh, Mormon and the way that he, he has organized all these thousand years of records is that he's telling stories. He's going to tell us about good kings and then bad kings and then judges. And then he's going to tell us about Nahor and then he's going to tell us about the Amalekites who then raise an army and they're going to fight and what kind of woe that brings to everybody. And then, he, then at the end of that he's going to say uh, and by the way uh, and you now have because you have those stories that were just told when he says to you I would that you should see that they brought upon themselves the curse. Their choice to do what they did. And I, I just think it's fascinating that not only did they make the choice to not listen, but they made the choice to visibly put something on them, th this red, to let everybody know that they've made this choice. Somehow there's some pride involved in saying, I'm not one of you, I'm, I'm me, I'm smarter. I'm... Did that have to be pride? Or, you know, they're going into battle. That's... Oh, so they make sure that they don't kill the wrong guy? All right. <laughs> It could because they would look like them, wouldn't they? It's just an IFF mark. Oh, it could be. Could be. I like that. Yeah. No, that was Mike's same comment. Is they're going into battle. They're marking themselves. So don't, they don't, don't shoot the guys with the red on their, fo on their foreheads. <laughs> yeah. 
but but I, I have noticed, though, that sometimes people, and maybe it's more of a prideful thing today, that when people leave the church, they, they tend to want people to know about it. So, um, but anyway. All right. Is that enough on curses? They mark themselves on Facebook now. <laughs> yes, they do. We have, a, we have a broader way of doing it these days. Yeah. There is a particular blouse style that has sleeves but bare shoulders, which I call the I don't wear garments top. It might be. Yeah, it might be. There's tons of ways to mark yourself. Yeah. All right. So, let, let, let's, let's, let's wrap up with this. I ain't even going there. <laughs> um, one of the things that I find just powerful about the Book of Mormon, and again, at the back of my mind is always, and I, I know I keep bringing this up, I always look at something like this and I see this masterful organization of the Book of Mormon, and then I think, Really? Joseph Smith is sitting in that little house in Harmony cranking this out, you know, uh, and, and somehow he's in a trance or he's got something he's reading off of or something. It's just so absurd. Uh, when you, if you, the more you study the Book of Mormon and its complexity, you just realize, no, there wasn't anybody even in New York City in that period of time that could have written with this kind of sophistication and this kind of complexity. It just didn't exist unless unless it is exactly what it purports to be. So, but but beyond that, um, I would say that as as we kind of get ready, as we finish up the the Book of Mormon for this semester, like I say, then we'll do we're going to do a, a nativity thing next week. But then we get ready to jump in, in in January and we start going through Alma 5 and 6 and 7 and we get this wonderful doctrines. And this, and this to me is what we've got coming up. And so I guess, I guess what I'd suggest is go back through the holidays and just kind of read Alma 5, 6, 7, 8, kind of right in there. Because this is a prophet speaking to a group of people. Some are righteous and Gideon. Some are like Ammonihah are all over the map. And... And so we're going to have some really specific, beautiful teachings that I think are really applicable uh, to us that we get in that, that next section. So, all right. Any final comments? We've done enough damage for today? <laughs> uh, I, I, I love this class. I love being able to teach. I love the, I love the, the, the things that you guys bring because I just think it, it enables us to push back and dig and, and try and understand these principles better. So thank you for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And in doing that, I, um, some of them reference earlier conference talks, and then I, uh, I look for those, and they're not there, they're just like uh, 71, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think there may have been sometimes that, sometimes it just wasn't digitized to the point, the extent it is now. Sometimes if I'm just really kind of bored, I've gone back and, and read. Like, like we love uh, Jay Golden Kimball. I've gone back to Journal of Discourses to read Jay Golden Kimball's actual talks. And they're pretty amazing. <laughs> so, but, but you see those old talks, but you can see some of the old beliefs of things in those talks. And so I think it's good to go back and read them, but I think we have to look at it through the light of what knowledge we've received currently. So anyway, so 
bearing my testimony, Book of Mormon's true. Uh, continue to uh, enjoy through uh, the holidays, and I'll see you next week. And I leave these things with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let's see, Sister Hales, can I call on you for a closing prayer? And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.